Good morning. So let's pray as we get ready to look into God's Word this morning. Uh, Father, um, I'm grateful that we can gather together like this in freedom to open our Bibles and to know that in a way that's just uh, amazing, you are here and wanting to speak to us, wanting us to hear you. So, Lord, may it be your voice that we hear, and may we respond, may we um, be grateful, and, Lord, will you accomplish in our hearts whatever it is needs to be accomplished today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Earlier this week, I was reading an Advent devotional. And, you know, if you're not familiar with the term Advent, you know, maybe you didn't really grow up in church or in a church that talked a lot about that. It's not a word we use a lot today. Advent basically refers to the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's traditionally a time that uh, Christians have used to just focus attention on the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus and, and prepare our hearts to celebrate, you know, his, his coming into this world to rescue us. So I was reading an Advent devotional uh, earlier in the week uh, written by John Piper, and he raised what I thought was a really fascinating question. His question was this, what does Jesus want for Christmas? How would we know? How would we know what Jesus wants for Christmas? Well, Piper's answer was, we should look at what he prayed for. Because when you look at what Jesus prayed for, you, you learn what he wants. On the night before he was arrested and ultimately taken to a cross and put to death in our place for our sin, Jesus prayed this in John 17, 24. Look at it. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. And he's talking there about his followers, those who trust him and, and follow him. I desire that they may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And that leads Piper to say this, what Jesus wants for Christmas is for us to experience what we were really made for, to see and savor his glory. Do you know you were made to see and savor the glory of God? I don't know what you think of when you hear that Jesus wants us to see his glory. Maybe that sounds a little egotistical or odd, but what he's really wanting is for us to be fulfilled in the very thing we were created for, because we were made. We have a thirst for glory. We love glory. We want to see it. We want to savor it. We want to enjoy it. To see the wonder of who Jesus really is, and then on seeing the wonder of who he is, to delight in him, to, to um, adore him, to love him. What, what this means is that what Jesus wants for Christmas is he wants to satisfy our deepest thirst for joy. 
to see, to gain a clearer vision of who he is. That's what I want when I'm in my right mind. And uh, I hope that's what you want too. And, and, and if it isn't what you want today, that maybe this will be a beginning of God stirring up that desire in you. Because you have a thirst for glory. You have a thirst for joy. And Jesus is the only one who can ultimately satisfy that. So in trying to get a clearer vision of Jesus, uh, what we're going to be doing in this series for the next few weeks is we're going to look at one of the titles that Jesus has in Scripture. And, you know, Jesus is described a lot of different ways in the Bible. And, and that makes sense because you cannot possibly adequately describe Jesus with just one expression. Just one for, no single label can possibly do him justice. I mean, just consider some of the titles Jesus bears. He's the Son of God. He's Messiah, King, the Anointed One. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Word of God. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the beginning and the end. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's just getting started. We can keep going. But what we're going to do, the, the title we're going to focus on for the next few weeks is, comes from Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And so in Revelation, you have this amazing vision that the Apostle John was given of Jesus and his glory and all that he's going to accomplish in the future. And, and uh, in verse 5 of chapter 5, John gets this amazing vision of Jesus, and he writes this. He says, One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And don't worry about the details there. Just notice what John, or what this elder, refers to Jesus as. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of Judah. Well, what does that mean? Why call Jesus a lion? It's supposed to grab your imagination. And the Bible does this a lot. I think it's really important that we realize the Bible is not given to us just to communicate information, just facts about God. Um, yes, it does that. It communicates lots of important information we really need to know. But the way it does it, it does it with all of this beautiful literature like poetry. You ever wondered, why is there poetry in the Bible? Why didn't it just say it? Because there's more to it than just saying it. There's poetry and there's parables, these stories, and there's prophecies and these things that just grab your attention to not only make you think certain facts, to gain certain information, but to also make you feel something. To feel something. For example, let's give you a for instance. The Bible teaches us that God is gracious and compassionate and forgiving. But it doesn't just tell us that. It shows us that. 
with stories. Like when Jesus told the parable about a father, a very good father, who had a son who rebelled against him. Very rebellious, no good reason, just doesn't want to be his dad anymore, doesn't want to be around him anymore, and want to listen to him, wants to get as far away from him as possible, rudely asks for his share in the inheritance first, leaves home, totally, you know, self-destructs, and is totally unjustified because this is a good father. And of course, this is a picture of us, isn't it? It's a picture of our rebellion against God, the ultimate good father. And finally, the son comes to his senses, and he realizes he's an idiot, and uh, he returns home. And Jesus says this in, in telling the story. He says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And this is the amazing thing. He ran to him. He ran to him and embraced him. And when you read that story, you not only get the information that God is gracious and compassionate, but you picture it and you can feel it. You feel it. So how are we supposed to think and feel when we're told that Jesus is the Lion of Judah? Well, that's what we're going to spend a few weeks thinking about. How is Jesus like a lion? Isn't that a cool picture? Just look into those eyes, if you dare. <laughs> How is Jesus like a lion? Well, today's answer is pretty straightforward. It's probably the first thing you would think of when you think of a lion, maybe. Um, look at a couple of what a couple of Bible verses say about lions, interestingly. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 30 says, The lion is mightiest among beasts and does not turn back before any. Yeah, there's a reason the lion is called the king of beasts, because in whatever habitat he's in, he pretty much rules. He rules. And then look at Isaiah 31, 4. I just love this. A lion growls, a great lion over his prey. And though a whole band of shepherds is called together against him, he is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. Yeah, just picture this. I mean, here's this whole group of shepherds. There's one lion. Yes, the many versus the one. But the one happens to be a lion. And, he, and he's got his prey. He snagged a sheep or something. And the shepherds have come out in force. And I don't know what they're doing, waving their arms, shouting, throwing rocks, whatever. I can just, in my mind, I can just picture this line. Just. He's not even disturbed by their clamor. It's no contest. Lion wins. Lions are strong. They're strong. And that's one reason why Jesus is described as a lion, the lion of Judah, because he's strong. Lion is the king of beasts. Jesus is king of the universe. He's stronger than anything you will ever face. Nobody outranks him. Nobody outmaneuvers him. Nobody overpowers him. 
He is the true heavyweight champion of the universe. Jesus is. And here, here's how that's relevant for you and for me. What this means for us is, if he's your king, if he is your king, you don't ever have to be afraid. You don't ever have to be afraid of anyone or anything that opposes you. Because no matter who it is or what it is, it's no match for Jesus. And if you ever saw the movie The Lion King, you might remember this one scene where the two little lion cubs, you know, are naughty and they go off somewhere where they shouldn't be. And suddenly they find themselves surrounded by three big, mean hyenas. And things are looking pretty grim. And then who shows up? Daddy Lion Mufasa. And he totally owns those hyenas. Totally. And, you know, that's the thing. When, when the big lion is on your side, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus is the big lion. He's the biggest lion there is. Jesus is stronger than your worst enemy. So I want you just to think for a few minutes here. What, what are the hyenas in your life? What are the hyenas in your life? What, what is it that's troubling you? What is it that's tempting you to be afraid? What is it that opposes you, that scares you? Jesus is stronger than your worst enemy. I just want to think through some of those enemies with you and think about how Jesus is stronger than them. First enemy, Jesus is stronger than Satan. He's stronger than Satan. That might be the first enemy that comes to mind. And rightly so, because the Bible's very clear that he exists. He is real. A lot of people don't believe that, which is probably to his advantage. But he exists, and he's always looking for an opportunity to ruin your life. Isn't that nice? That's his agenda every day. We might forget about him. He never forgets about us, and his agenda is to mess us up. His very name, Satan, means the adversary or the enemy. Um, he's also called the devil, which means slanderer, accuser. Jesus called him a murderer and the father of lies. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he is your enemy. He would love nothing more than to deceive you with his lies and destroy your life. He'd love to murder you. Look at 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Isn't that interesting? Satan is also described as a lion. And he's always on the prowl. He's always looking for an unsuspecting victim. So what it says is, be watchful. Be vigilant. Be alert. You know, if, if word came while we're in this service that, you know, there was a train derailment down there on the tracks by Lake River, and uh, it was a circus train, I know that sounds ridiculous, but let's just, <laughs> just, you know, go with it. 
And there's a pride of lions loose in our neighborhood. Do you think that might affect how you went to your car? If you knew that was real? Well, there is a lion out there. And he's looking for someone to devour. Stay vigilant. Okay, but how do you fight an enemy you can't see? And how do you fight an enemy who's stronger than you? You remember he's not stronger than Jesus. And you stay close to the stronger lion. 1 John 3.8 The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Look at Ephesians 1.20 God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Don't let yourself buy into that myth that somehow God and Satan are equal and opposite. Not even close. God is creator. Satan is creation. Infinitely different. And the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, is the stronger lion by far. By far. So the way to not get chewed up by Satan is to stay close to the stronger lion. 1 Peter 5 9 says, Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. What does that mean? It means the way you defeat Satan is not by attacking him, but by resisting his lies, his temptations, his attempts to destroy you with faith. That is, by trusting what Jesus tells you, what he's told you. This is why it's so important that we actually know this book, that we actually know what Jesus has told us through his apostles, through his prophets, so that we can know the truth, so we can resist the lies of the evil one. We've got to know the truth because it's in trusting him and relying on him that we're able to resist the lies. Trust the one who always tells you the truth and the one who is always stronger than Satan. Jesus, the line of Judah. So he's stronger than Satan. Second, he's stronger than your sin and my sin. He's stronger than sin. Frankly, one enemy that really scares me is the enemy inside me. My own sin nature. Now the Bible teaches that when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive a new nature, a new birth. And this new nature has the capacity that we haven't had before to genuinely love God and to trust God and to desire his will. But we've still got this old nature that still wants to try to be in charge and wants to try to, you know, do things our own way. And the Apostle Paul describes this battle in Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Now, that's why I think Paul is talking about the experience as a believer. Some don't take it that way, but I do, because I don't think it's possible for someone who hasn't experienced a new birth to genuinely delight in the law of God in their inner being. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I can relate to this battle, and I know 
way too many stories, way too many stories of people who started well, loving Jesus, excited, uh, just faithful, obedient. But at some point, they got careless. They didn't think it could happen to them. And they weren't vigilant. And they allowed some sinful desire to get the best of them, and it seriously messed up their lives. I really don't want that to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to any of you. What's the answer? Well, Paul asked the same question in in verse 24 of chapter 7. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Notice he can't deliver himself. Who will deliver me? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus, the line of Judah, is stronger than our sin. He will give us the strength to say yes to him and to say no to sin if we will rely on him. What does that mean? Well, it's getting close to him. It's learning his directions, learning his promise. You realize every time sin tempts you to disobey God, it's tempting you with a promise of greater happiness than you will have if you trust God and, and obey his, follow his promises, believe his promises. The thing is, God's always telling you the truth. Sin is lying to you. We need to get close to him. We learn, to learn his directions. We need to trust his promise. And we need to ask him for his help. You know, I'm sure you were aware of the, this whole, uh, the, the headline of some New York tabloid that said uh, about the shooting in San Bernardino, you know, and it picked on some politicians who were saying, our prayers are with these people. And they were mocking that. And they, they ran a big headline and said, God isn't fixing this. As if the whole point of prayer is you ask God to fix it, and he'll fix it. You know something? God is going to fix it. But when he does, whether everybody will like it or not is an open question. But that's not the only purpose of prayer. We don't even know all the myriad ways that God's fixing things in people's lives. But that's not the only thing prayer is. Prayer is fundamentally a relying on God. We rely on God by asking him to help us battle sin. Third enemy, he's stronger than any troublemaker. You know any of those? Now here I'm talking about people who are active in their opposition to Jesus, who hate him, hate his followers, want to cause them trouble. The world's full of them. Now, we here in America, we haven't experienced a lot or as much hostility as believers in other parts of the world where it can mean you know, loss of job, loss of freedom, even loss of life to be a Jesus follower. Our day may be coming. But the thing is, right now, you might have somebody in your life right now who is not happy with the fact that you want to believe in Jesus and follow him and, and maybe you know they're trying to punish you in some way, embarrass you, criticize you. You know, I, I mean I've been there as a college student, you know, having some prof who thinks Christians are idiots and, you know, lets that fact be known and or, you know, it could be someone at work, 
uh, trying to just make life miserable for you or even hurt your family or whatever. Okay, well, Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. But how do you deal with the anxiety or the fear that might arise when you think about, well, this guy could really cause trouble for me. Uh, what's, what, what could happen here? And you get fearful about what might happen. How do you handle that fear? You stay close to the lion. Stay close to the lion and let him handle the hyenas. Look at Second Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when. Okay, this is important. When, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, the lion is coming, and he will right every wrong. He will fix it. He will fix every injustice. And that's why we should pray for those who persecute us, because they need to turn before he comes. So if the lion has to deal with them in judgment, they won't be happy. He's stronger than any troublemaker we face. <laughs> I think it was Piper who said this also. He said, they can only kill you. <laughs> He's got a point. That's the worst they can do. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who lives and believes in me will never really die. So if they kill you, they haven't taken from you the most important thing, eternal life that the lion has given to those who trust him. One more enemy you're definitely going to have to face, and that follows right in here. He's stronger than death. He's stronger than death. Death is the ultimate enemy we all face. And it's awful. You know, sometimes, you know, speaking of the Lion King, you know, that song, The Circle of Life, you know, death's just a part of life, and we all just circle around and all this. And don't, don't try to make death beautiful or neat. It's not. It's an enemy. It's our worst enemy. It separates us from those we love. And listen to me carefully. Unless you turn from your rebellion, unless you admit your sin, unless you receive the pardon Jesus offers you, death will separate you from God forever. Now, nobody likes to talk about that. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody likes to think about it. But we need to take it seriously because the death rate is 100%. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And our only hope is for somebody to give us life because we can't beat death. You know, people say that, well, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this. Well, you might beat a particular illness, a particular, you know, yeah. But you're not going to beat death. You're not going to do it. Your hope, my hope, our only hope is for someone to give us life. And the only one who can give us life is the one, the only one who did what nobody else has ever done, who defeated death.
who came back from the dead never to die again, Jesus, the Lion of Judah. He defeated death for us. Look at these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Chapter 25, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now he talks about the resurrection. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You might just want to get excited about that. Jesus is stronger than your worst enemy. Death's your worst enemy, and he's stronger than everybody less than that. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the King of the universe. And the question for each one of us is, is he your king? Is he your king? Does the Lion of Judah rule in your heart? Or are you still a rebel? If you are, do you realize he offers you a complete pardon today? If you will turn from your rebellion, a f- complete pardon. You, you don't even have to pay for it. You can't pay for it. He already paid for it at the greatest imaginable price when he suffered on the cross. He will give it to you freely if you ask him for it. Just admit you're a rebel, admit you deserve his judgment. If you want him to rescue you from guilt, if you want... I don't care what it is. I mean, you might think, no, I'm too bad, I'm too bad. No, yeah, you may be bad. I'm bad. But Jesus' grace is greater. Don't diminish the grace of Jesus. Your sin is not too big for him. Ah, if you'll turn from it, if you'll give it to him. That's all he wants from you is your sin. Bring him your sin. And he'll take it and he'll give you life and he'll give you his leadership, his loving leadership, his promises. Receive him. Just admit you're a rebel. Admit you deserve judgment for living life your own way, thinking you know better. Receive his love, his forgiveness, his leadership, his compassion. And if you're afraid of something today, Whatever it is, whatever those hyenas are, just realize Jesus is bigger, Jesus is greater, Jesus is stronger, and choose to rely on his strength. It's stronger than anything you'll ever face. He'll give us the strength even to face death if we trust him. When the lion rules in your heart, you don't have to be afraid of anything. We bow with me and let's, let's pray. Father, how glorious it is, how glorious it is, how beautiful, how amazing it is that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. That strength, that majesty, all exercised on our behalf. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who hasn't yet bowed their heart and made Jesus 
Lord, of their life, that today they will do that. And Lord, for those of us who struggle with different fears, Lord, help us remember and stay close to the lion. Help us be vigilant and help us have confidence that Jesus is stronger than any enemy we'll ever face. Help us believe that and live that way today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.